Well, if you, for those of you that are dog owners, um, or maybe you have dogs that are kind of prideful so they never do this, but um, you've probably seen a dog who knows that it's done something wrong. It did something wrong and it knows it. You know, you imagine coming home and you open the door and you can see from the doorway in the living room, you can see pillow stuffings uh, laying in the living room, but you don't see who's done it yet, but you already have in mind probably who did it. You come into the living room and come around the corner and there's the dog sitting there, tail tucked, you know, ears kind of down and back and doing that. You know how they always have that look where it's like they're looking down, but they're also like looking up at you and they're like, I know I did wrong. Please, you know, please have mercy on me. That kind of look. Well, we, we don't always wear our emotions on our sleeves like dogs do, um, but often we can kind of feel the same way and it's maybe very internal when we know we've, we've done something wrong and we know we've done something wrong. And so have you ever done something wrong at work and you've dreaded seeing your boss walk into the office? So, uh, have you ever done something wrong at school or where, when you were in school and you were just struck with fear at hearing your name over the loudspeaker saying, uh, you know, so-and-so, come down to the principal's office. That never happened to me. Um, have you ever heard it did? Uh, <laughs> have you ever hurt someone and your stomach was all in knots because you know you're going to see them again at that next you know, family holiday thing or at that work function or you're gonna, you see them outside you know, putting their trash out with your neighbor and you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'd rather be 10 minutes late to work than bump into my neighbor you know, who I, I hurt because I don't want to see them again. And we're going to explore this question together. When you've wronged someone, what do you expect them to do when you see them again? Because all those situations we talked about, there's, there's this fear, there's this dread, there's like this anxiety. And so um, when you've wronged someone, what do you expect them to do when you see them again? Let's brainstorm that on the, the board. What do you expect them to do? Depending on the person, maybe like they would ignore you. Ignore you? desire to like, speak to you or be in your presence. <coughs> ignore you. Yeah. They could confront or blame you. Confront you, blame you, accuse you. Okay. What else do you expect someone to do when you wrong them and you see them again? They could be physically violent. They could be physically violent, yeah. Depending on the person, depending on the thing. situations get us afraid and distressed and you know, we, we dread them. What are we expecting the person to do? Yeah. Uh, give you a dirty look. Dirty look. They might not even talk to you, they just give you that dirty look where it's like you know what you did. You know. You know dirty look. afraid that they'd yell at me. Anything else you'd be afraid of? Say something along the lines of, we're done, I'm not friends with you. I don't oh, they might like cut it off. Yeah. 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 Um, I'll just put we're done. Avoid you. Oh yeah, ignore you is kind of like they're in your presence, but ignoring you, avoid you is like, 
Well, they keep going around the corner every time I come into the kitchen or whatever. <laughs> We're done. What are you doing? badly about you to other people. Yes. They might gossip. It's like, what are they saying to everybody else? Well, I was saying talk gossip people talk badly. Yeah, it's a pretty good list. Yeah, I mean we can maybe say more things, but these are reasons if we've done something wrong and we know we've done something wrong, this is what we're expecting the person that we, when we interact with them again, that's what we're expecting them um, to do. And this evening as we're continuing our series called Beginning the Journey Home, Book of Genesis, all about coming, God's on this, starts this journey for humanity to come home to him in Genesis, um, and we're seeing the characters, they're all kind of having their own little homecoming experience, like they all need to learn to come home. Um, God wants to bless the world through Abraham and his family, um, but before he can bless them and bring, invite other people to come home, um, they need to come home. They have to learn our home. We're safe. We're secure. We're accepted. We're loved um, in God's presence. They need to learn that. And for several chapters, we've been following the life of Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And just like Abraham, Jacob's on a journey of learning to come home to God, of learning to surrender his life to God. And Jacob, he's a man who's done a lot of wrong in his life. And in our passage today, he's on this return trip um, from 20 years spent with his uncle Laban over in Haran. Why did he have to stay with his uncle? Well, he had to stay with his uncle, leave his, his own home, leave his own country, because his brother Esau wanted to kill him because of all the wrong that Jacob had done to him. Jacob cheated him of both his birthright and his blessing in deceiving and tricking his father um, to do so, to accomplish that. And Jacob systematically worked to take away everything uh, that he wanted from Esau. And so no wonder Esau wants to kill him and he had to leave home. But now as he returns home, Jacob now has to deal with all that damage that he did 20 years ago. God said, I want you to go home now. And Jacob, as he's going, he must be thinking, you know, how you don't you turn over? What's this conversation going to be like? Maybe you're driving home for Thanksgiving or Christmas and you're like, what's this conversation going to be like when I see so-and-so? And you're just thinking the whole way. And Jacob we see him at his most vulnerable here. He knows he's done wrong, and he isn't sure if Esau's going to have cooled down after all these years, or if he's still going to be wanting to kill him. What's going to happen when they see each other again? And as he tries to make things right with Esau, um, he learns an important lesson about acceptance. And so the big question this passage answers is, how do we find acceptance with God? How do we find acceptance with God? We're going to recap what we already read in chapter 32. This story spans chapters 32 to 33, and I found it one of the most interesting stories in Genesis thus far. Um, but what happened Do we already read? We see in those opening verses, verses 1 through 21 of chapter 32, Jacob's desire for acceptance. For most of his life, Jacob has been able to kind of do things on his own. He's kind of figured things out. What he wanted, he got. He could plan and scheme and, and make his way in life. Um, to get the things out of it that he wanted. But in this passage, he's at the end of his resources. Even doing everything that he knows that he can do, he still is doubtful um, and worried that it's going to come up short. And he seems to know this is going to come up short and it's not going to work. And he has, he's met a problem that he can't fix. And his problem is his brother Esau. Before crossing into Canaan, uh, when he's coming on his way back from Haran to Canaan, so he's traveling from east 
to west. Um, he pauses to make contact with Esau. And Esau, he wouldn't have had to do this. Esau, um, here I'll draw a little, little map. This, this is the nation of Israel over here, Mediterranean Sea, nation of Israel right here. There's the Jordan River that kind of separates. There's a Sea of Galilee and stuff. And Esau, Jacob is coming from over here. Esau's down here. And so Jacob could have just gone straight back home. Um, but instead he pauses and he sends messengers to Esau um, trying to get this meeting with him. And so perhaps we're seeing oh, maybe the old selfish Jacob um, is giving way to this new loving unselfish Jacob. And he sends messengers to Esau with these instructions that we already read. He says to him, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And Jacob's desire is to find favor in Esau's sight. His desire is to find grace, to find favor in his sight. And he humbles himself before Esau. He says, Esau, you're my Lord, and I'm your servant. And he's putting himself um, in this humbling stance. And his whole life he's tried to get above Esau. To remember, his name means to grab the heel or to cheat. And his whole life he's been grabbing Esau's heel and pulling him down, having this rivalry with him to get above him. But now he humbles himself before Esau. And then the, the messengers come back um, and they report, well, we delivered the message. Uh, Esau's on his way with 400 men you know, at, his, at his side. And then at this, Jacob's eyes grow wide and the pit forms in his stomach. Um, what's he going to do with these 400 men? He's on his way. Is he going to attack us? Is he going to kill us? And um, he, That's exactly what he's thinking. And so he divides his people into two camps, thinking, well, if Esau attacks one, at least I'll have the other left. And, but for once, Jacob starts looking to someone besides himself to solve his problems. Because at this moment, he goes to God in prayer. And when he uh, left Canaan, he saw angels. And then when he comes back, he sees angels Again, reminding him God is with him. And so he, Esau's coming. He goes to God in prayer. He, he doesn't think he can do this on his own ability. And so let's reread his prayer in uh, chapter 32, verses 9 through 12. It says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the, the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude." Jacob goes to God in prayer. And actually what he's doing, he's praying God's words back to him. I mean, Jacob, he's not sitting around with a Bible like this. What he knows about God is what his grand, grandpa, what his dad taught him, and what God himself has told to him. Um, not to say that this isn't God himself speaking to us, because the you know, Bible tells us every word in this is breathed out by God speaking to us. But he's praying God's words back to him. And so he's praying according to God's will. God, this is what I know is true of you. This is what you told me to do. This is what you promised that you would do. And so he's praying God's words back to him. God, you said I'd become a multitude. You told me to return to my land. You said you'd be with me and you'd do good to me. I'm about to be attacked, I think, by my brother. Would you please deliver me from his hand? And all that you know, deliverance from Esau's hand lines up 
with God's will? How is he going to become a great nation? How is God going to do good to him um, if he if he dies? And so uh, this is a good lesson for us. You know, we could go into like, you know, if you know about the little ACTS acronym for prayer, you can kind of look through this prayer and see almost every part of that, but we can't go into that. And our best prayers come when we pray according to what we know about God and when we desire his will instead of our will. And Jacob is aligning himself. You know, we, Jesus talks about pray according to God's will. Pray in accordance with my name. That means aligning ourselves with who he is uh, and what his, he is about. So after his prayer for God to act, well, Jacob acts too. He, he puts uh, together this gift for Esau. He has groups of animals, and he, gets, he sends them in waves to Esau, with, and each one is led by a servant. And he tells the servants, when Esau asks, what's this all about? Um, they're supposed to say, oh, this is, you know, from, this is for our Lord Esau. It's from Jacob. Oh, and he's coming behind you. And it's kind of like this, you know, <laughs> if you wanted to, kind of reminds me of like the Aladdin when Prince Ali, you know, comes in. He's got like all these crazy, anim- anybody know Prince, no, the song? Okay, good. <laughs> Some people, all the ladies were like, and all the guys are like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I love that song. It's a great song. Uh, but anyway, there's like these droves of animals and all these things to impress uh, the, the sultan there. Um, and it's kind of like Esau, or Jacob sends these waves and waves and waves of gifts. And it's like, whoa, you know, whoa, each one comes by and it's supposed to impress him. And what Jacob says is in verse 20, why he does this, verse 20 says, For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. And Jacob knows he's done wrong to Esau. And maybe he's thinking, I mean, he's thinking Esau's going to kill him. But, you know, all these things, all this dread and anxiety that's welling up inside of him. And Esau has every reason to be mad. And Jacob is afraid Esau's going to kill him when they see each other face to face. And this gift is like a repayment of what Esau, or Jacob stole from Esau um, back in the past. And it's like, hey, I just want to give back to you what... Um, you would have gotten. His desire is that Esau would accept him because his gift appeases him, takes his anger away. And this could all be taken as a lack of trusting God. Okay, he prayed God would deliver him. Well, now is he just kind of doing his own plan? Like he doesn't trust God to take care of it? That's one way we could take it. And it, it's kind of left unclear. Like, okay, is he not putting his trust in God? Is he? And the other way to take it is, you know, when you make an apology, uh, you don't, you know, somebody's mad at you, you've wronged them, and you're like, I'm in the wrong, I should apologize. You don't just sit back and say, God, would you please make them forgive me? Well, no, it comes with a good apology. Like, you're going to apologize the right way, say what you did wrong, and say I'm sorry, and ask for forgiveness. All the while, praying, God, please, you know, make their hearts soft. Would you uh, help me in this apology? You know, you're still praying, and so he's taking action while he's trusting God. And I kind of lean towards that as what he's doing. As Jacob waits to see Esau's face, and he hopes he'll be accepted, he sees someone else face to face. And perhaps you know this story. It's a famous story in the Bible. But he's restless in the night. Um, Jacob's waiting. You know, Esau's coming. Um, so he decides, okay, I'm going to take my family across the, the Jabbok River. I mean, so he crosses, you know, brings them across this river. You have to go across a ford, which can be kind of dangerous, especially at night. But he's, I need to get my family out of here. But then he comes back and sitting in the dark, fearful, distressed, and alone. This mysterious man begins wrestling with Jacob, and they wrestle until the sun's about to come up. And let's pick up the story in verse 25 of chapter 32. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. 
And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with them. And then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So we'll pause there. At the beginning of this encounter, Jacob does not know who the man is. But by the end, he knows that he's wrestled with God himself. We know based on what he says later, and he's asking for this blessing from him. But on the, under the cover of the night, so that Jacob can't see him, God comes to Jacob in physical form, and he wrestles with him. And I, I kept asking myself, well, why, why that? Why in the middle of the night? Why wrestling why, why is this the way God reveals himself to Jacob at this time in his life? Because God's revealed himself in other ways in, in, uh, in Genesis already. He used dreams, he used visions, he used, he used angels. But why like this at this time in Jacob's life? Well, throughout his whole life, Jacob has been wrestling with everyone around him to become blessed, with his brother, with his dad, with his uncle Laban. But now he sees that the one with whom he's been wrestling this whole time has been God, actually. And in this night wrestling, Jacob is unwilling to yield himself to the person wrestling with him. And just like he's been unwilling to yield himself to God throughout his entire life, there's always, here's what I can do, here's my plans, here's my schemes, here's how I'm going to make this happen. He's been unwilling to depend on God, to trust God, to fear him above all else, and to surrender to him. But in this moment against an opponent that can obviously easily subdue him because he just touches his hip socket and it pops his hip out of joint, Jacob realizes, I'm not the source of blessing in my life. God is the source. And so he holds on to him and says, I'm not going to let you go. He clings to him until you bless me. And just like he sees that, he's at the mercy of Esau, calling Esau his Lord and calling himself Esau's servant. He sees that he's at the mercy of God. Finally, he sees you know, he, he's the source. If I'm going to get a blessing, it's only going to be because he does it, because I cling to him. And the blessing of this encounter is the name change. God says, you will no longer be called Jacob. You'll be called Israel. And Jacob came out of the womb, grasping at his brother's heel, and that's why this name was given to him. But the other meaning of it is he cheats. And when Esau lost his, his birthright and his blessing, he finally says, well, Jacob is rightly called Jacob because he's cheated me out of both of these things. Jacob the cheater, Jacob the liar, the deceiver, who will hurt anyone to get what he wants. That's what the name Jacob is all about. Name changes in the Bible often indicate a character change or like a destiny change. Because now he's going to be called Israel. And there's, I mean, there's all kinds of debate about what exactly does the word Israel mean. Some people say it means he strives with God. Some people mean think it means, you know, let God prevail. You know, there's all these different meanings, and it's not super clear, like, where, what does Israel exactly mean? Um, but what is clear is why God gives him the name. He says, it's because you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. And at first glance, it's like, what? It seems to kind of imply that Jacob has bested God and he's bested men, and now he's kind of being rewarded for it. God's like, okay, I give, you win, you know, you've You've prevailed over me, and now I'm going to bless you. Um, it kind of implies Jacob has fought with God, and he's beat God. But if you think about it more, that's not at all the case, because look at what he names the place in verse 30. 
So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And Peniel, the thing he names it, means the face of God. He names it that because he says, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. In other words, I should be dead. And yet I'm not. I'm walking alive. I should be dead because I saw face to face. God face to face. Every person is unworthy of seeing God face to face. And Jacob in his prayer said, I am unworthy of everything you've done for me. And Jacob, he knows that I've done everything wrong. I've done so many things wrong in my life. This is what he should expect from God when he sees him face to face. And yet, beyond his explanation... Somehow Jacob is delivered. Somehow he walks away alive. And Jacob walks away with, from this wrestling match with a limp, but he's alive. And, and why is it? Is it because he bested God? Is it because he outmaneuvered God? Is it because you know, he got the best of God and outwitted him or he's stronger than God? No, Jacob says, I walked away alive because God allowed me to. I've seen God face to face. And he allowed me to walk away. He delivered me from death. Why does Jacob prevail when he wrestles God or men? It's because God has let him. God is on his side. God is for him. God is with him. Those are the truths he was learning when he was with Laban. And his name change would forever remind him of this experience of, in his life where it's like, I should have been dead, and yet God allowed me. He delivered me from death, allowed me to walk away. And so looking at his name change, like he has wrestled with God and men, and prevail. Well, why did he prevail? Did he really prevail? Was it because of him, his schemes, his strength, his plans, his resources? No, it's because God let him. It's because God was with him. God delivered him and allowed him out. And with this, we focus back on Esau, because no sooner than this wrestling match ends, it's almost like you know, Jacob's like catching his breath. The sun's coming up, and he lifts his eyes. Oh, geez, there's Esau. You know, it's like, here's Esau with his 400 men coming. Um, and he, so Jacob, okay, divides up the kids um, with their mom. His four wives divides up his four wives, his 11 sons, his one daughter. And he, he lines them all up. And then he stands in front of them and he approaches Esau. And he bows seven times as he does it. And, and when he's nearly face to face, Esau surprises him. And remember what we talked about at the beginning. When we have wronged someone... This is the kind of stuff we expect them to do. And Jacob has really, really, really wronged Esau. Jacob expected Esau to be mad and possibly even attack him and his family and kill them. But what does Esau do instead? Look at verse 4 of chapter 33. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Now, let's take a moment. How do you think this reaction made Jacob feel? This is what he's expecting. But what he gets is running to him, embracing him, throwing all this affection on him. Um, how do you think Esau, or Jacob felt in this? We'll write down just emotions we may, he may have felt. I think he might have been 
confused, not, not understanding. Nobody reacts like this. That was kind of one of my first thoughts. Like, you almost like it's like your arms are down, and the person like hugs you. Well, I kind of was ready to put my fists up, and it's like, what's happening? You know, what? Why are you doing this? Yeah, confused was kind of what I thought, or surprised. Shocked. Shocked. Yeah, that huge burden you've been carrying 20 years. I mean, maybe you thought about it every day. Who knows? But at least when he's walking back, he's feeling this weight. And it's like, whoa, relief, freedom. Constantly, like, indebted to him just because, like... Like, gratitude, indebted, like... Like, I owe you kind of now. Like, I should treat you extra nice. Like, changes something in him, maybe? Yeah. Like, in... Uh, a repayment or something like that, or like For the wrong. thankfulness. Um, could be an I owe you, but it's interesting because he's thinking, I'm gonna, I really owe him. Oh, he like did all this without me giving anything to him. Um, but there's something there that maybe he's like, oh, now I like. You know, like when we talk about paying it forward, like when somebody pays for your drink in the drive-through line, you're like. Oh, I kind of want to do this for the next person. Maybe there's something like that, like he wants to give back. Yeah, anything else? Why do you think he wept? It says they both wept. Why'd they weep? Because tenderness. Tenderness? Yeah, somebody's kindness can break down the hardness in your heart and make your heart soft and tender. I think in that moment they both probably realized like how powerful each of their responses were. So, mm. just so like moved, kind of with, moved. Yeah. Moved, overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think they're happy to be reunited. They're happy. Yeah, those might be all the things that they feel in that moment. Grace. Grace. Ooh. So they feel grace. They could be feeling great, too. Wow, I feel great. That was nice. Okay. So after their embrace, you can kind of see this fresh perspective in Jacob's life after his wrestling with God. Um, He has this new perspective. Esau looks at Jacob's four wives, 11 sons and one daughter, and asks, well, who are these? What's Jacob's response? He says, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Where did these come from? Not me. They came from God. And then they each, all his kids and wives, bowed down before Esau. And then next Esau asks, what are, what's up with all these waves of gifts you sent me? And so let's pick up their conversation, verse, verse 8. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If, you have, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. You've accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, because I have enough. And thus he urged him, and he took it. Jacob 
his whole desire, I want to find favor in Esau's sight. I want to be accepted by Esau. I want to be delivered from Esau. Because he says, if I see him, I'm probably dead. But Esau, he's like, here's all these gifts I sent you. And he's like, I, I don't need any of it. I'm, I'm good. Uh, I don't have any needs that I'm looking for you to fulfill with all this stuff. But Jacob insists on him taking the present. Only now it's, he says, if I found favor in your sight, it's because he's found favor in his sight. And it's because Esau has accepted him that now he wants to give him a gift. And I think this is where what Heather was talking about. He's like, well, now I have this expression. I want to express something to you about, I'm, I, you know, you've accepted me. And now I want to give something back to you. Um, so it's now because he has been accepted. Instead of his gifts being the reason for his acceptance, his presence is now, his presence are now a response to the acceptance. And that's where we think about um, when it comes to obedience. Obedience isn't the reason for God's love. Um, obedience is our response to God's love. Giving our lives, surrendering all of li- our lives to Jesus. And God first loved us, and that's the only reason we love. Our love for him, our obedience, our surrender to him, is not the reason for God's love or this is salvation, but it's our response to God's love and salvation. And the big question this passage answers is, how do we find acceptance with God? And acceptance in this passage is deliverance from death. So if you want to write down you know, what the, how this passage defines it, it's uh, acceptance equals deliverance from death. That's what Jacob is looking for when he's praying for acceptance and hoping for it. And Jacob's done wrong after wrong. He's committed sin after sin. He's lived selfishly for his own desires. He's not loved God or other people. And he stands before God and he's uh, unworthy of acceptance and deserving death. And Jacob should be dead from seeing God face to face. And yet he's delivered. When Esau accepts him, Jacob says, well, this is like seeing the face of God because I should be dead before you, Esau. And I've been accepted. I've been delivered in your presence. And so here's true truths about acceptance from this passage. The one is, we deserve death in God's sight because of our sin. We deserve death in God's sight because of our sin. Acceptance means deliverance from death. And we need that because we deserve death in God's sight because of our sin. And the second truth is, God needs nothing from us. God needs nothing from us. We deserve death in God's sight because of our sin. And God needs nothing from us. Just like Esau needs nothing from Jacob, God needs nothing from us. And in fact, everything we have is from him anyway. And so it's not like we can be like, God, I'll... I'll give you my house if you'll do this for me. And he's like, well, I gave you the house anyway, so it's pretty much on loan. So you're telling me you're going to give me back the thing that's on loan. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really work that way with the bank. Um, but we deserve death in God's sight because of our sin. God needs nothing from us. And the, the price of acceptance is higher than we could ever afford. And we need it from someone who needs nothing from us. It's like, here's the price tag. God, I can give you this for it. And I, don't, I don't need it. I'm not interested in anything you have. And so how do we find acceptance with God? We, it's more than we can afford. We need it. And yet God needs nothing from us. And so here's the answer. How do we find acceptance with God? Acceptance with God is a gift from God paid for by God. Acceptance with God is a gift from God paid for by God. Acceptance with God is a gift from God paid for by God. We deserve death, but God pays for us to live and see him face to face. He pays for it by dying in our place. When we see God face to face, it's like death. That's what we deserve. 
Um, but somebody else died in our place. Jesus, the Son of God, became a human to die the death we deserve in, so we can be in God's presence. He was our substitute. And when we trust in Jesus as our King, He's paying the price of that death. He's paying the price for our acceptance. And it's a gift received by faith, paid for by God. And so, a truth to remember when you leave today, God is the source of your acceptance with Him. God is the source of your acceptance with Him. And if you can view God as the source of everything in your life, that'll completely change um, the way. That, I mean, that's like the whole goal of us. Dis- what we're learning in discipleship, surrender is saying, uh, you're the source of everything. I don't know why I'm trying to hold on to this or trying to impress you or trying to pay my way with you. Like, you're the source of everything. So I need to just go to you. That's what childlike faith is all about. Um, because kids recognize my parents are the source of everything that I can even have. You know, my toys, my food, my whatever it is, even the things I don't realize that I need. Like, that's what childlike faith is about. And when we trust in Jesus, God fully accepts each of us, not because of anything we've done, but because he's done all of it to make it possible. We are not the source of any of it, and there's nothing in us that makes God have to accept us or even want to accept us. It all comes from him. He's the source of all of it. And perhaps the word... You know, acceptance, it's like, well, what does that even mean? You know, maybe that doesn't really do much for you. I mean, you're like, I don't, you know, that doesn't hit me, you know, in a really deep, meaningful way. Like, I don't know if that's what I really need or I'm not that excited about it. And we need to know um, what acceptance looks like and feels like from God. Because the reality is that um, we've all done wrong. um, And there's a lot of things we know we've done wrong. And what's even worse is there's things that we don't remember we've done wrong that God knows and remembers. Um, There's things that we didn't think were wrong that were wrong, and God knows all of those. And so the wrong we even know is like a small chunk of the pie. God knows even more of the wrong that we could sit and feel guilty about with our guilty puppy eyes like we talked about at the beginning. Um, But God, he says, here's here's what I want you to do. You just got to follow these two commands. Love me with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, it's pretty easy. Just two? Man, I have... Less commands, I don't know, in my car, you know? It's like, how many rules we follow and try to follow in the car? Just those two things. But over and over again, we fail to love God with all we have. We fail to make Him the most important, to put Him at the highest person on the priority list or thing on the priority list. We fail to um, follow His will, to do what He would desire. And we so often fail to love our neighbor, to love another person as we want to be loved ourselves. You know, treat every, most people in the world... Um, would agree, yeah, we should treat others like we want to be treated. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but if that's the only standard we're judged by, well, geez, we're going to fall woefully short of it because we maybe do it half the time if we're lucky. And then the half that uh, we do treat others as we want to be treated, then when if they don't respond you know, in, in the way that we'd like them to, like, well, you're supposed to treat me now how you want to be treated. And all of a sudden we're mad at their response at not you know, responding rightly to us treating them the way we'd want to be treated. And so it's just this horrible cycle. And it's just these two commands. And God knows all the wrongs we've done, knows all the times we haven't obeyed those and followed those. So when we see God, what should we expect from him? I mean, maybe a lot of us expect things like this. To ignore us, to give us a dirty look, or maybe he's physically violent toward us, you know, just mushes us down, or he yells at us, or maybe he'll just avoid us altogether. Or like, if, when's he going to say, you know, we're done? You know, I gave you just two commands. Like, we're, we're done. You can't, you can't follow those anymore. Or maybe he's going to you know, talk 
do all those things to us. And yet, if you've trusted in Jesus as a source of your acceptance with God, he treats you like Esau treated Jacob. And what does acceptance look like and feel like? Esau runs to meet him, embraces him, and pours affection on us. And so when we trusted in Jesus, our acceptance is totally paid for. He doesn't treat us like that. He runs to us and embraces us and pours affection on us. And we're unworthy of it, and we don't deserve it, and we could never earn it. And yet we stand surprised and maybe shocked and confused. Like, how could, how could he love me this much when I've done all this? I know this much I've done, and I know there's even more I'm not even aware of that I've done wrong. And yet how could he love me this much? How could he treat me like this? We stand surprised and in awe of what God gives to us. And that's grace. Grace means undeserved favor. And that's a word, undeserved. Man, you think about that our whole lives. Like, you know, I, because so often we think, you know, I'm pretty deserving of things. Like, I've cleaned up my life. I think I kind of deserve what God gives me. And it's like, no, I'm undeserving of every single thing. And grace means that God is the source of our acceptance with him. And this is the wonder of grace. That God has every reason to condemn you, reject you and yet he runs to meet you embraces you and drowns you with affection and the wonder of grace is that God should be offended grieved and outraged by your sin and yet he treats you as if you never did it that's what forgiveness means if you've been released from it that means you're treated as if it never happened you know, how man how much would it change our relationships if we could treat people as if they never sinned against us when we say I forgive you and it's not because he doesn't care that you sinned it's because he's paid for your acceptance. He's, he's paid for it. Now he can be in his sight. He paid for it out of his own pocket. But the problem is that we so often try to make ourselves the source of acceptance with God. And we can do it in two ways. We can point to what we've done um, as the, the payment. We can focus on the goodness of what we do. And so we offer our good deeds as payments of acceptance. Look, God, look at the, look at the things I've done. You know, Esau or Jacob sends those waves of the animals and the livestock and he's like trying to get you know earn the acceptance of, of Esau and we can say that too he'd be like God look at these waves of things I've done look what I did this week look what I did this year look what I did today and then maybe we're like hey I'm sending you better waves than that person we compare ourselves and we're like God you know please accept me because of all these things I'm sending you your way but what we have done will never be enough and if we, and it's even worse than that because when we try to earn God's acceptance with what we do we're only digging our hole worse because it's a continual uh, staying on the path of saying, I want to live apart from you. I want to live not depending on you. I want to live with me as the source of, of being accepted with you. And we're still like going on the path of independence when God says, the path of being accepted with me is one of dependence. When you say, you know, you're the source of it all and you're the one that, that gives it. And so God says to us, trust in me, depend on me, rely on me, rest in me. But we say, well, no thanks. I'll do it myself. Like, that's pretty offensive. Even we're like, look at all these good things. And he's like, well, that's not the way. Like, I'm telling you the way. Depend on me. No, I want to do it. I got to do this. You know, I can't depend on you. I'm going to trust myself. The second way, we, you know, we try to make ourselves a source of acceptance with God. And maybe this isn't as common in our church or in the church. Uh, but it's by focusing on the goodness of who we are. And, and you might hear this a lot um, in the world and our culture. Um, but people say, well, I'm good just the way I am. And love means 
that you need to accept me the way I am. I, I know I'm selfish. I know I kind of mess up. You know, I know I go off and get mad. You know, I get impatient. But I, that's, just, that's just the way I am. And you've got to just accept me, embrace me the way I am. Or maybe we'll say our hope, God, uh, you, you know, if you're not going to, we'll say you need to accept me for who I am. And I don't want to change. And if you won't accept me, well, you're not very loving. and You're not worthy of my worship. Um, and it's like, well, we're never accepted by God on the basis of who we are or what we do. He's always the source. We're never the source. It's always flowing from him to us and never him looking at us and being like, ooh, you know, there's something here. He always pays the way out of it. And we see in Esau's life, even if we believed all of this, it's still hard. In Jacob's life, it's hard to live in light of acceptance because if we continue in the chapter, Esau's like, hey, come now come down to my house with me. I don't know what he's planning. Like, maybe we'll have a party or whatever. This is great. And Jacob's like, oh, no, you know, all the animals and the kids are tired. So you go on ahead. And he's like, okay, I'll leave some people with you to make sure you're protected. No, 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 please, please don't do that. Please send them. And he's like, I'll meet you there. So Esau heads off with all his folks down to his place. Um, but then Jacob continues. You know, Esau went down here. Jacob goes this way. So it's like, wait, what's up? Jacob, like, aren't you guys reunited? Aren't you reconciled? Didn't he accept you? Weren't you delivered from death? And he's, it's like maybe some of the old Jacob's still there too, still not willing um, to live undeceitfully. Um, and for us too, we can hear this acceptance from God, this amazing embrace, um, him treating us as if we didn't even sin against him. And yet we can still fail to live in light of it. We can go, you know, I'm going to head my own way here. I don't quite trust you yet. I don't quite trust you to back me up. I don't quite trust you um, to know what's best for me. And so uh, Jacob heads in the opposite way, and we can do that too. And let's take a moment. Think in your head, what's a list of the good things you do? You know, the good things you did this week. I'm sure you did, did some. What are the good things you've done this week that you can think of? Or maybe it's the last month if you're like, this was a crummy week, I didn't do much good. Think of the last month or the last year if you need to do that. And just over the top of that in your head, you know, right, this is not the source of my acceptance. Doesn't matter how big that list is. Doesn't matter how small that list is. It's not the source of your acceptance with God. And then think of all the wrongs you've done this past week or this past month or the course of your whole life. What are the things you've done wrong this week, this month? And over the top of that in your head, right, God does not love me less because of this. That might be hard to write. Of course he loves me less. You know, I did these wrong things, but God does not love you less because of those wrong things you've done. And here's a statement that I hope is powerful and gives us something to think about. But God cannot love you any more than he does right now. And he's proven it. Like, what more could he do to show he loves you? He died to pay for your acceptance into his presence. God cannot love you any more than he does right now. And that doesn't mean that God isn't sometimes disappointed with us or sometimes displeased with our behavior, just like any parent would be. It doesn't mean that God um, doesn't always like how we act. But God cannot love you any more than he does right now because he's already proven it. He's gone all the way. And as we 
if we can think of, start to think about God as the source of our acceptance. God is, you know, a couple weeks ago we talked about the acronym SAFE. You know, we're secure in Christ. We're accepted by God. We're forgiven of everything. And we're embraced in love. And God is the source of all that. All that comes to us from God, not from anything we've done. Um, and once we start, one of, the, one of the reasons these characters in this chapter need to learn to find God as the source of all that, need to come home to God, is because it's only then that they can become a channel through which what God's blessings come out into the world. Because God says, I want to bless you to be a blessing. And he takes Abraham on this journey so he can learn, okay, I'm fully dependent on you. And he's taking Jacob on this journey to, so he can say, okay, I'm fully dependent on you. And so they're looking to God as the source so they can now be the channel. And that's the same way that God uh, can allow us to be a blessed blessed to be a blessing. It's when we receive uh, the blessings from him as the source, and then we can be the channel through which it flows out um, to others. You know, that sort of forgiveness, that grace. You know, giving, letting people be shocked by how much we love them and accept them despite what they've done instead of doing this to one another. Let's pray. Father, thanks that you... You paid for what we need so desperately out of your own pocket that you uh, gave your life. Jesus came, gave us life so that we could be accepted in your presence, so we could be secure, so we could be accepted, forgiven, and embraced. And would you help us to live in light of it, not like Jacob who, who doesn't quite trust his brother yet. Would you let us trust your acceptance of us and not think that it's um, conditional or that uh, you were kind of just saying that to rope us in and that you're maybe going to do a bait and switch. Would you help us put our full trust in you and know that we're safe with you? It's your son's name we pray. Amen.